Hi, this is Steve Hargadot, and welcome to the Future of Education. It is Tuesday, July 20th, 2010, and we're sure glad to have you here. Our guest tonight is Jim Bach on his book, Secrets of a Buccaneer Scholar. Welcome, Jim. Hi. Hey, I'm going to give a shout out. It uh, looks like Lenore is your wife, right? That's right. So she's in the chat. And is John your brother? Yes. Awesome. Hey, we're glad to have everybody here. Uh, Future of Education is sponsored by my employer, Illuminate. The project I work on is called Learn Central, learncentral.org. It's a free social network for educators. Hope you'll come and join us, see what we have to offer there. Our Global Education Conference is coming up in November, and we keep announcing it, but we're very excited about it. Five days, multiple time zones, multiple languages, multiple tracks, and free. Please go to globaleducationconference.com if you're interested in helping or presenting. Coming up on the Future of Education next Monday night, Alternative Educational Networking Platforms. Last night we did a session on Ning and Pearson. Next Monday we'll do a kind of a look at what you're doing if you're moving to a different platform. On Tuesday, Lawrence Peters on Global Education. Wednesday, Sam Cheltrain on Democratic Learning Communities. Thursday, Peggy Sheehy and Lucas Gillespie. And lots more fun coming up. So please. Please come and join us if there's something there that's of interest to you. The recordings do go up at futureofeducation.com. So the recording with Graham Glass on EDU 2.0 was up near Aniru Kosla on her CK12 um, Open Digital Textbook Initiative. Ted Coldery on Teachers as Partners. Lots of fun. I think Jim would like this series if you weren't so busy doing his own things. I think you're going to find it's right up your alley. If this is your first time in Illuminate, it is a participative environment. So we do encourage you to participate. You can do that sometimes by clicking on the smiley face or the clapping hands. There's a confused look or a thumbs down. We don't expect much of that. We never do. And then to the left of those is a hand, a larger button with a hand and a green up arrow. You can use that to raise your hand if you'd like to take the mic later as we go into Q&A. It's a little easier to see the screen if you go up to View Layouts and switch to the Wide Layout. That will let you see the chat a little bit better. OK, and now again, your first chance to participate. Look for the laser pointer to the left of the map, a wand with a red star at the end. Click on that and click on the map. Let us know where you're listening from. You can also shout out in the chat. Hey, a little bit of an international audience tonight, Jim. Cool. Yeah, that's fun. So I'm really delighted that you have come on the show. I, I was ta talking to you beforehand in the pre-show period and telling you that I found your book in a small bookstore in Tahoe City, California. And was so excited to find it, and you know, sort of kind of stunned that I wasn't aware of it. Um, are you willing to give us the short overview, kind of, of the story, your life story, and what sure. brought you to writing the book? Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, uh, I'm the son of uh, author Richard Bach, and he wrote a book called John Livingston Seagull uh, back in 1970, uh, which was very well known, sold a lot of uh, of copies, and was quite famous. 
But he left the family when I was uh, four years old. So to me, it was a little like uh, growing up as the son of Apollo. Uh, I would never see my father, but I'd hear about him from other people. And I wondered what was in store for me with such a, uh, uh, a mythically amazing uh, father. But I didn't, uh, I didn't talk to him or have much to do with him for um, many years after that. Meanwhile, I grew up uh, a fighter, uh, always uh, uh, pushing against any authority that was around me. I remember at being five years old, deciding that uh, I was not going to let any adult or anyone else tell me what to do with my life. <laughs> and I, I became a very insufferable kid right after that. Um, but I liked school. I liked school uh, until, uh, until right after sixth grade. Uh, in sixth grade, I had a fabulous teacher, an amazing teacher. And he made me feel respected. He made me feel important. And I would do anything for this teacher, uh, George Bedron, uh, from, uh, from uh, uh, Faston Elementary School in Vermont. I wish I could find this guy because uh, I would love to just kiss his feet. Uh, I, I, he, he, he did so much for me. But then in seventh grade, I went to a different school. And that school was more like a prison. And I decided that no one was going to put me in prison. And so that began a, a, a terrible time in my life. It's the only time in my life that I've ever, I ever considered suicide as, at the age of 12. Uh, I was uh, in a crippling uh, depression uh, because of it. Uh, I just felt like I was fighting with everybody, and nobody was, was on my side. And, but I just couldn't go along with what they wanted me to do in school. And the key moment, the key issue that, that defines the book in a way is that they, uh, they eventually beat me in the sense that, that the psychological tricks worked, the parent-teacher conferences where everyone was talking about me without talking to me. Um, uh, and I decided, OK, I'll do homework. I'll, I'll, I'll do homework, despite the fact that the 13th Amendment to the Constitution makes slavery illegal. I'll do it. And I found something that was horrifying. As soon as I, as soon as I tried to do the homework, the horrifying thing was that I, I could not make my brain think. I would try to read my homework assignment, and my brain would just turn off. I would read a sentence, and I would immediately forget everything in the sentence, instantly. And I'd have to read the sentence again, and I'd immediately forget it. And I realized, to my horror, to my horror, that I don't control my thinking mind. It's not under the control of my will. And, and I, 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 it's, su it's such a horrible thing. It's like learning that, that you're a, an artificially intelligent being uh, that's made of a program that somebody else controls. You, you, just, you don't feel quite real anymore. Uh, so I didn't understand this. I didn't know what to do about it. Uh, but I knew that, that, that I, couldn't, I could not do the homework, even though I, I felt that I wanted to to get them to stop yelling at me, I could not do it. So what I did instead is I decided to pretend as if it was all on purpose. 
to pretend that uh, that oh, I'm just a, a, a rebel that nobody can tame because that's what everyone was saying anyway. Um, and uh, and I redoubled my uh, my fight against uh, authority, and it started getting a little bit a little bit violent. Um, and uh, someone's asking about it about a learning disability. Well, I don't consider my personality to be a learning disability. It may be that that I have ADD or whatever, but I don't care. I don't consider ADD to be a problem. I, I consider ADD to be a a personality. Um, so. Uh, uh, I, I've been extremely effective in my self-education. I'm quite successful as a thinker, so no one could call it a learning disability. But it certainly is is something where I can't just point my brain and drive in the direction that my will says to go. Well, anyway, uh, right around when I was 12, uh, right in the worst time, I got to know my father. He He was called in to talk to me, and I went to visit him. And I found out that my father is the world's most encouraging man. He's amazingly encouraging. He was the only adult in my life who said, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about anything. You, you know, this school stuff's not that important anyway. Uh, and I, I hung on to that. I just hung on to that. But then uh, when I was 14, I was kicked out of my house because I, uh, I threatened to kill my stepfather. And, he, and my mom took that very seriously. So she, she sent me to live in a motel room, which was terrific. It was absolutely wonderful. I loved it. I loved it in, the, in the, the motel room, and my anger immediately began to go away. It immediately, I immediately began to calm down and... Um, and uh, a couple years later, after uh, uh, talking a lot with my father, he, he one day just uh, uh, suggested that I just quit quit high school instead of uh, fighting with them. Um, and I didn't realize that was an option. So I said, sure, okay. And I remember something he told me at that time. <laughs> he said, he said, James, you could take care of your own education. And I remember at that moment thinking, what? What does that mean? What, how do I take care of my own education? You see, even though I was fighting with school, I had completely bought into the propaganda that you have to have school, that's, that school is education. And I, I don't suffer from that anymore, but I look around and, and many, many people suffer from that. And so... Um, so I immediately, after leaving school, I uh, became a, a video game programmer. Um, I can talk to you about how that happened, but I became a video game programmer when I was 16 and uh, did that for a few years. And then uh, Apple Computer uh, found out about me uh, when I was 20 years old, and I became the youngest uh, uh, technical manager at Apple Computer uh, in the, in the uh, R&D group at Apple Computer. Uh, as a as a test manager, and I've been a software testing uh, guy ever since. And now I travel uh, I travel all around the world uh, teaching software testing. I run my own company doing that, uh, and I'm basically as teaching software testing means teaching critical thinking, teaching lateral thinking, and. Uh, and uh, uh, my father ever since 16, he said you have to. 
you have to write a book about this. You have to write a book about this. And for 26 years, he was on me about writing the book, and I kept trying to write it. And finally, a few years ago, I realized that I, I knew what to write. I knew how to do it because I had developed this whole system of self-education that anybody uh, could uh, uh, develop for themselves, but I thought I would, I would help people perhaps younger than me. Um, and uh, 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 try to, to share uh, my method and the experiences that led to it. So uh, I really loved the book. And I have a good friend who is a physician. And he um, has a serious illness. And he had to have a heart transplant and then bone marrow transplant. And he has you know, sort of largely survived the odds. And, and part of the fun of being with my friend Kevin is it's just so interesting to hear how someone who has intimate knowledge of the body is approaching his own very serious illness. And I kind of felt that way with you. I felt like I was in your brain. I was watching how you react to things and, and what you were thinking. And you were kind of telling us how you can do this, that you were giving us permission to think differently. That's conscious in the book, right? Good, yeah, that's exactly what the book is about. That's exactly what I was trying to do, and I was really hoping to to meet a lot uh, other people who were who, who would be interested in that. I'm so glad that that you are. I wish more people would read the book and I uh, can contact me. <laughs> but uh, that's that's exactly the point of 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 the book. Yes. Okay, so the downside of not a lot of people reading the book is that not a lot of people read the book. The upside is that it's only $8 on Amazon. So if you're interested in Jim's story, do order it because it's really cheap. And it, it was a great read for me. I, I really enjoyed it. The, okay, the important so thing is, the important thing is, is that it's, it's not, people keep looking at it as, oh, it's just a book about some genius kid who grew up and so what? Well, the thing is, is that I'm not a genius. I mean, I'm smart. I'm smart in some ways. I'm quite smart in some ways. However, I also have a lot of uh, issues, a lot of problems with uh, making my brain do what I would like it to do. So, like everyone, I'm a mixed bag. And what I'm I'm hoping to do is is attract people to to read it, who who are terrified that they're not smart enough, and I want to give them comfort. Uh, that's really what I want to do, and 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 I I can't give them comfort if they think that, that, that it only has to do with me and that it can't possibly have anything to do with them. So well, so I read the first four or five pages of the book out loud to my wife the story you tell of talking to the students. I'm going to ask you in a minute if you oh, the <laughs> tell a brief, brief version of that. But I think that you're, I think you're being thoughtfully modest in terms of the audience and who you're reaching. But I, I'm going to make the case tonight that, that what you're talking about actually has more universality to it than, than, than you may be thinking or that it would seem to have based on just being your experience. I actually think there's a bigger story here of the, the ways in which we think and the, way, the stories we've told about schooling and that what you're talking about maybe applies particularly to certain kinds of students, but 
but actually applies much more broadly to most students. Have you thought Have you thought about that? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I I I think it it, it applies to all kinds of people. I, I I thought while I was I was reading uh, writing it that one of the cool things is that that if you if you happen to be able to tolerate conventional schooling, then the stuff I'm talking about is just extra stuff that could supercharge your experience. And if you're a kind of person who who has is having a real hard time tolerating uh, uh, formal schooling, then I could give you uh, some very necessary hope. And if you're the parent of someone who is struggling in school, then I could help you uh, relax about that. That's That was what I was thinking while writing it. Well, let me put maybe a little bit of a finer point on it, which is as I read your, your descriptions of the Buccaneer Scholar, um, it, it occurred to me that most everybody I knew who had been really successful fit that model. And that in a world now of almost unlimited content and, and fairly uh, widespread opportunity, that understanding this type of learning and this model are actually pretty important for everybody. Well, see, that's the, that, that I agree. And the thing that amazes me is if that's true, how come everybody is linking and and saying study hard in school, kids? Uh, when you look and you see that most people, most young people who are in school are not taking advantage of it, <laughs> they're drinking and they're partying and they're they're aimless and uh, where where is this? How come we we we? persist in, in buying this, this stuff that comes from the, the education industry, uh, which has a vested interest in having us all get into intensive student loans, um, that, uh, that we have to uh, go through this. You know, here's, here's something that amazed me. I was actually talking to a 17-year-old kid recently. Uh, we were both playing a game. Uh, and I was telling him about my background in the book I was writing, and he said, well, you know, education is very important. So it amazed me that a 17-year-old kid is uh, telling me uh, that education is very important when I complain about school uh, as, if, uh, as if he's worried about me, <laughs> whereas I'm... Uh, I'm worried about him. I mean, uh, like someone just mentioned that um, school gave you foundations. No, it didn't. School did not give you foundations. Uh, school is taking credit for the foundations that you think you have. Uh, you might have done a lot of learning while you were at school. You might have learned from a wonderful teacher. But you could have learned those things and you could have had teachers without necessarily being part of a formal educational experience. And even if school did give you a foundation, that doesn't mean you needed school to give you a foundation. You can get foundations without school. My point is that I, I'm not against school. What I'm against is helplessness. I'm against anyone who wants to make us all feel helpless and weak because it's such a lie. So uh, 
um, I interviewed uh, John Taylor Gatto, as I mentioned to you earlier, a few weeks back, and have been sort of struck by the degree to which um, um, we're revising our stories about school, and we're trying to find, oftentimes trying to find one new story, but we're actually discovering that there are lots of stories about teaching and learning. Um, and it's pretty notable in the book that he goes through an experience of sort of being a feeling as though he's considered dangerous. Now, if you're willing to tell that short story that's at the beginning of the book, you sort of experienced that from the teacher who watched that interaction you had with the students when you went to speak to them, right? Oh, yeah. I was, I was amazed because I had spoken to this teacher on the phone before I came to our classroom, and I told her my history. And she said, well, that sounds great. Why don't you come and, and, and talk to my students? Uh, the story is about a, a time when uh, I went to a lecture at a school uh, at a, by the way, all these questions are, are, are flying by right now in the chat window, and I really want to answer all of them, but I, 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 I have to focus <laughs> if I can. Um, uh, but I hope someone's like making a, a note of the interesting questions going by. Um, anyway, there's a, it was a vocational school. It was a school for kids who, were, who had already dropped out of school or they were about to drop out of school. I never quite got the story of how somebody ends up in this special school, but uh, basically troubled kids, right? So I, uh, I go there and I decide to show up in my uh, motorcycle costume, my biker outfit. Um, and. Uh, I don't talk about this in the book because it complicates things, but actually my brother Jonathan, who had recently uh, graduated from college, he showed up with me wearing his, um, I think he wrote a jacket and tie or something. And he, at that time, lived on my couch. So the, 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 it was going to be the, the high school dropout as the job at Apple Computer uh, as an engineering manager, and then the journalism graduate is not quite sure what he wants to do with his life and doesn't have a job. <laughs> so we both showed up. Uh, and, then, uh, and then I did most of the talking. And I basically told these kids, look, don't worry. Don't worry. You're going to be OK. And you don't, you don't actually need school. Uh, but if you enjoy it, then um, you know, go for it. But uh, your success is completely guaranteed, completely guaranteed if, if you, you study things that you love. And so I tried to just convey that, uh, uh, convey that. And yes, my father's writings absolutely uh, empowered me in lots of different ways. Um, and so I, I talked about this for about an hour. And then, uh, and then uh, the teacher uh, told me as I, was, uh, as I was leaving that she thought I was terribly dangerous and that uh, she was trying so hard just to keep the kids coming to classes. And, and, I, and then I told them that, uh, that they didn't need her. And that was, uh, that was uh, just terrible, because if kids drop out of school, why, then they turn to crime, apparently. Um, and as she might have quoted some statistics at me or something like that. But from my point of view, uh, that's, that's like slave talk. That's, that's, uh, that's uh, disgusting. That's, uh, that's no, there's no place in a free society to 
to manipulate people by by needing them to believe that they they need you or else they their lives will be ruined. Uh, that's no way to bring up children. Um, that's uh, just to, to say outside these walls there are boogeymen, and unless unless you do what I say, the boogeymen will get you. Uh, I I've uh, fought against that. Uh, my whole life, because um, that attitude is a is a lie. Um, but you know, she considered herself a pragmatist. She considered herself, uh, you know, doing uh, good work by uh, by uh, taking her incredibly low expectations and smearing them all over their students. Um, and I I found that depressing. And I thought that it would be a good thing to start the book with, as, as sort of establishing what the challenge is. When you try to get people beyond the idea that they uh, that they need school, you're immediately going to get hit by these these teachers who are trapped in this system, and and they feel that this system is the only way for uh, for students for kids. So that came through very strongly in the story where you know she says these kids aren't smart enough, and I I actually kind of felt badly for her. You know, I, I think, uh, with with all due respect to the to the really good work being done in lots of schools, it does feel like sometimes there are these parallel universes that both the students and teachers are caught in, where it's an obedience culture, and that there's this sense right. of, um, you know, that that uh, we think of um, discipline and hard work. Uh, being the prerequisites to learning, whereas it seems like what you're saying is that they're actually the results of engagement, but they get confused, that exactly. everybody's confused. Exactly. This, this is a, a big misunderstanding that I uh, finally realized in my own life, uh, and that is that you don't need to learn discipline. And uh, People tell you, oh, you've got to learn discipline. No, you don't. Discipline is automatic. What What you need to learn is you need to learn what is it that that you want to do? What is it what is it that will engage you? Who is it you want to be with? That's what you need. And then discipline is is it just follows instantly. Instantly. And uh I I wrote right in the book about being burnt out as a programmer and uh uh just uninterested in program I wasn't just uninterested in programming after a while. I I actually got physically sick when I sat down at a keyboard to program. That's how burned out I was. And then I got the job at Apple Computer. And I was instantly over it. Instantly. It's like, oh, I'm I'm hired at Apple Computer. Suddenly I'm full of discipline. <laughs> Suddenly I'm I'm going to show up to work earlier than anyone else and stay later than anyone else, and I'm going to do everything. And and I was amazed at how the 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 syndrome uh, instantly uh, passed. And I realized at that point at that moment that that engagement uh, creates discipline. So you know, one of the messages I took away from the book is that um, find something you're interested and passionate in. You know, uh, find a way to explore that, and you will become you will start becoming your own self-educator. And that part of the job of the educator is to help 
uh, facilitate that process for each individual student? Uh, yeah, a a absolutely. Yes. Uh, that is what I think a really good teacher, a good mentor does is to try to, to help the student uh, gain a positive and powerful relationship with their own learning process. Not to shoehorn them into, into some other learning process, but to, but to um, uh, try to, to connect and assist um, with what, what, uh, what they're already uh, moving toward, and this is a very this is a big challenge. It's not easy. Uh, I have a, a nephew uh, today who's just not sure what he wants to do with his life, and it's um, uh, you know it's a difficult process of getting him to try a bunch of things and see how he feels about it. And one of the problems I think is is that is that I never thought when I was a, a youngster that I would grow up and be a software tester. It doesn't. In fact, I said I'll never have a desk job. I could never. I need to be a sword fighter. Uh, I want to be a mercenary. You know, <laughs> I want to be an explorer. I, I had all kinds of ideas about what I wanted to be, but they had to be something, something rough, something where I get to fight bears. You know, something like that. And um, uh, but it turns out that I love being a, a a tester. I love being a trainer of testers. Actually, I love being a uh, a mentor of testers, and I feel very engaged with that. Uh, but you know, from a distance, from a distance, it's it's it would have been hard for me to see that. So that means that people, in order to find what they're engaged in, they they really have to. To uh, to try a bunch of things and and uh, hang out with different people and then eventually, if they are listen, if they listen, that that little call, that little signal inside them will will guide them. That's how I think it works. It says one of sixty six hands raised. Do we do, we do anything <laughs> well, about we'll that? We'll wait until we go to the Q and A. So Elizabeth, yeah, all we're right. There's wait. so many cool questions uh, coming up. I just I love we'll it. We'll shift quickly. We'll shift uh, quickly to Q and A. Okay, okay, so you don't say this in the book, but I definitely read it into the book, and I'm wondering if you would agree. Yeah. Uh, I think you could have been anything. You could have been one of many different. You could have been in many different professions. That that being a tester ended up being something you could become passionate about and very interested in. But I don't imagine that's the only thing. And so I think in some ways here, for me, the engagement trumps the content? I think so. I, that's exactly my point. I think if you got engaged in a certain community and you start feeling that you're important in that community, you'll be drawn into, you'll end up loving that stuff. Your brain will seize onto it. What I found, and it, I'm embarrassed to say in a way, I'm embarrassed to say it took me uh, about uh, 35 years to discover this in my life, but uh, I kept getting going through these burnouts. I talk in the book about several different burnout periods. There's one when I was 12. There's another one when I was 20. There's another one when I was uh, about 30. Um, and I and I couldn't figure out why do I keep burning out? Why do I keep uh, feeling so tired and not wanting to go to work and not wanting to do anything? And then eventually I figured out it out exactly. And now I know. 
And I'll share it with everyone because I bet it's true for a lot of us. It might not be true for everyone, but I bet it's true for a lot of us. I found out that I can be excited about doing anything as long as I feel that I'm serving someone who, who matters and who needs me. They, they've got to need me. If I feel needed, I'll, I'll do anything. Uh, and it, I mean, I think it has to be intellectually engaging too, but I can make anything intellectually engaging. There are a lot of people who think software testing is a clerical job and is not very intellectually engaging. So when I got involved in it, I immediately turned it into an intellectually engaging thing because I wanted it to be that way. And I think you could do that with uh, with anything. My brother did it with washing dishes. He's, he he was a dishwasher for for a year or so at a country club, and and he kept coming back talking to me about how he uh, he had figured out a more efficient way to wash dishes, and he had analyzed the social relationship between the the front staff and the kitchen staff, and he wanted to talk to me about it, and. Uh, he said, I, I think you can make my brother do any job and he would he would analyze it and, and, and make it into something that uh, was worthy of his uh, brain. But my brother, like me, I think, we need to feel needed or else energy goes out of it. We just, we don't, we, we lose uh, interest. And I just didn't understand that. For years I thought it was the nature of the work that made me interested in it. And um, I think it's much, much simpler than that now. So we're, gonna, we're not going to have time to dive into the heuristics portion, uh, what, you know, what you call the cognitive savvy or metacognition, which is essentially kind of the techniques, personal techniques you've used for moving forward yeah. in your teaching and learning. But I want to suggest yeah that they weren't, for me, they weren't just cognitive. There was actually kind of an emotional component to them as well. That you kind of yeah. gave us a window into how you responded, it felt, and kind of how you then coached yourself into being feeling right. like, okay, I, I can't still succeed. Even though I'm getting these negative messages, I'm right. going to... Well, they're mostly, they're mostly emotional. That actually, almost the entire book is not about thinking it's about overcoming your fear of not being smart enough. That's really major part of what the book's about. Okay, so that's all emotion. <laughs> it's really fun. I mean, way more notes here than are possible. There was a question in the chat, a, a long one, that, that basically said, you know, uh, this is going to be okay for some kids, but for most kids, they're not going to have the motivation or the impetus uh, to, to move forward. and do this on their own. I can't remember exactly where it is in the book, but you kind of tell, and maybe it's in that first story, you know, the, what would be the consequence of a kid not being forced to go through the process? Well, they drop well, out. Well, my son right now work. is an example of that. My, my son uh, dropped out of school when he was uh, 12, and he has not gone to school since then. He's 16 now. So he's been not going to school for four years so far. And um, I don't ask him to do uh, anything. I mean, he does whatever he, whatever he feels like he wants to do. It's basically permanent summer vacation. So I'll tell you, most of what he does is he plays video games online. And, and lots of people would look at that and say, well, there you go. Uh, he's got no motivation. Oh, how terrible. 
and I just think that's ridiculous. I don't think there's, I, I think the, the idea that people don't have motivation to do things uh, that they need to do to live their lives is, um, is, is silly. It's a silly theory that people have. Um, it's a little like the theory that if it, if it weren't for laws, then everyone would be running around in the streets screaming and killing and raping each other, which I really don't think would be true. But there are some people who think that, that uh, you know, the, the Hobbesian kind of view of society, that it's only, uh, it's only a, a thin, thin line between complete chaos and uh, social order. Um, and I just think it's, uh, uh, let me put it this way. If you put some food on a table and then you put a child or anyone else across the room, and you let you let them you let them stay there long enough. Uh, do you really think that you would discover? Oh, look that 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 man is starving. He's starving because he has no motivation to eat. Uh, his body needs to eat, but yet he's just not motivated to eat. Uh, I, I think that no one would expect that. We would we would say, you know what, hunger is a feeling that drives you to eat and your body makes sure of that. And similarly, I think that everybody, every single person in the world who's alive and who's not fundamentally uh, you know, brain damaged is, is motivated to uh, gain power and regard within whatever community that he finds himself. And he will do whatever that requires. Now, maybe that's the reason that my son, who is the son of a writer and the grandson of a very famous writer and uh, the grandnephew of another famous writer, um, he's decided that he's going to do writing. So I don't tell him he has to do anything. And as a result, Aside from playing video games, he's written, according to him, 114 stories. And some of them I've seen. They're getting better and better. He's uh, written more fiction now. Actually, he wrote more fiction the first time he attempted to write fiction than I have written my entire life. <laughs> and he was 12 when he did that. So... Uh, I'm just not worried at all about this uh, this silly idea, which I think is planted in our in our minds by uh, Puritans and um, you know people worried about Satan and people uh, who are trying to uh, push the school mentality, the importance of school. Uh, I'm not worried at all that people won't have any uh, motivation. Everybody has motivations. We're, we're motivated to impress our girlfriends. We're motivated to support ourselves and have our own place, our own space. We're motivated to be respected by the people we respect. And all of that, when you add to that an atmosphere that says you, you can learn anything you want and here's, here's a library, here's, a, here's an internet full of resources, uh, then, then people are going to start their own businesses and people are going to do all kinds of stuff. And maybe some people are going to live very quiet lives and not do very much that, that, we, uh, that we recognize as, as amazing. And so what? That's okay. It's perfectly okay. 
And let me tell you, that's why I love Van Gogh. Everybody should read one of Van Gogh's letters, letter number 155, at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the the chat session. I put the I put the link to to letter 155 of Van Gogh. He he writes this tortured letter when he was 27 years old about how he didn't know what to do with his life, but he knows he's supposed to do something, and he's not an idler. Uh, people shouldn't think that he's an idler just because he's confused about what he's trying to do with his life. It's a beautiful letter, and it's a and it's a um, and it's a it's a touching letter. One of the most touching letters I've ever read. I, I want to read this letter out loud. Uh, it goes on for eight eight handwritten pages, and it's just this this cry against uh, against his frustration. And the amazing thing about this letter, the most amazing thing, is that immediately after he wrote this letter, he decides to dedicate his life to painting. And then he had one of the most remarkable careers in the history of art. But he died not ever knowing that he had had one of the greatest careers in the history of art. He died, uh, as far as he knew, uh, just a poor, struggling artist who had only sold one painting his whole life. And meanwhile, his paintings are sold today for prices uh, up to three times Van Gogh's weight in gold at the time that, uh, that, that, that he painted them. It's just amazing. And so when you say, somebody might not have any motivation or they might not uh, they might not make any things of themselves well you don't know what they're making of themselves you don't know what they uh what they can do uh and they often don't know what they can do and uh sometimes people tell me but james you know as your son's father you know better than him what he should study you know better than him what he should do and i say no i don't I don't know. And so I'm not going to impose my own feelings on him. I'll make suggestions, but I'm not going to impose my feelings on him. I want him to own his life. I believe that's more important than anything else. So you're treating him like an adult, and, and that he is that an comes adult. out in the book. And I'm, I'm yeah. curious because... You know, my own father has described his growing up, uh, you know, in the 1940s in the suburb of Philadelphia. And, he, you know, he pretty much had free reign, went different places. I think in many ways he felt more like an adult than our children do in this era, in which we're sort of largely protective and largely pushing them in certain directions. And it seems sort of ironic that, you know, the, in, in the story you're telling and in the story that I believe that we're likely actually doing them more harm than good. Well, I don't know if we're doing them uh, more harm than good. Uh, maybe we are. Uh, but I, I do know that uh, we're, giving them, uh, we're giving them all kinds of, uh, of distractions and uh, reasons to think that uh, their life doesn't belong to them, that, the, that they're... Uh, that they have no choices to make, um, and I think in a free society uh, that that's a terrible thing. And I'd rather see 
compulsory education abolished, just like I like the fact that slavery has been abolished, I think that, uh, that the prisons of uh, public schools should just be done away with. I know they won't be because people are crazy, but you know, I think they should be done away with. And I think what we should really have is a set of resource centers. We should have the, the teachers who are just there at resource centers. We can call them public libraries, you know. Uh, and these resource centers have everything anyone needs to learn anything about anything they want, and all education should be free. Uh, and we could take all that money for public education and, and, and pay for all ages to have a universal uh, access to these, these learning resource centers. Uh, I think you can run a whole society that way. Um, and um, uh, it's not going to happen, but what I do think is that there's a few of us, a few, uh, few of us who, who can help each other to allow our children, if our children are, uh, I love Ivan Illich, by the way. <laughs> I'm very much influenced by Ivan Illich. Uh, uh, there's a there's a few of us who can who can help each other to to relax and uh, trust our children to trust in the dynamic that says every mind wants to think the things that you know what the things that stop people from thinking that stop people from learning is fear and violence and you know drugs and all that sort of thing uh, abuse that's what stops people from learning not not the fact that no one's standing behind them with a whip to make them do their homework. That's not the issue at all. Anyway. Okay, so we're um, good. We're, you're, you're still okay. passionate. So let's shift yeah. to Q&A. And Elizabeth, uh, you raised your hand earlier, and I'm hoping that means you have a question. I'm going to give you the microphone. You turn your mic on by clicking on the larger mic button at the lower left of your screen. Uh, anyone else, feel free to raise your hand if you'd like to ask a question by mic or put a question in the chat. Are you there, Elizabeth? Your mic is on, but we're not hearing anything, so you may want to go up to Tools, turn your mic off, go up to Tools, Audio, and run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure that your mic will give a sound. I could do a lot just by going through the chat session here. So many people brought up so many really interesting points. So, and so I know there were challenges. questions that appeared in the chat and went by us. Yeah. Uh, so please put them in again. And um, I can and answer this one about how does my son learn so writing skills. I'm going to take the mic away from you, Elizabeth. So that. Should I answer that? Boy, I just want to take care of all these questions right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Great. And I've given George okay, the mic. Go ahead, George. Uh, go ahead, Jim, and then when you're done, George can ask a question. Oh, okay. Well, I just want to answer, how does my son learn writing skills? Um, first of all, my son doesn't like anybody to teach him. I, 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 uh, whenever I try to teach him something, that seems to be a great way to guarantee he will refuse to learn it. I uh, learned that early on about him. I guess he's, he takes after me that way. Um, so I, I do a lot of indirect indirect uh, teaching. Uh, for instance, 
when my son uh, decided uh, that he was going to respond to a, a request that his, uh, his school made of him uh, in sixth grade, he was supposed to write a, a story, a one-paragraph-long story. So he wrote uh, 20,000 words. 20,000 words. He just kept going until he lost interest. He lost interest after 20,000 words. He'd written like half a novel, and then he stopped. And this was the first time he'd ever tried to to write fiction. <laughs> and when he first wrote, he wrote in a big block of text. He didn't use punctuation marks or uh, paragraphs. So he showed it to me when he had a, he was he was only at about uh, four thousand words. And I looked at it and I said, "Wow, uh, this would be a lot easier to read if we uh, if we had paragraphs here." You want me to you want me to just uh, show you show you about paragraphs and and he he allowed me he allowed me to do that and I I uh, so I I did three editing sessions with him where I uh, at first I put in all the punctuation marks and and the punctuation and the and the paragraph uh, breaks and all that and um, and after I did three sessions with him, he uh, he just was doing it all himself, and he began spontaneously uh, writing in that way. So there are moments when when my son has becomes uh, receptive, um, and usually it's when he's had a success where he feels confident. I think, and then he he's willing to listen to other people's ideas. But I think he, like me as well. Uh, he goes through periods where he's got to, to experiment with himself for a while and feel that he's, he's tried things himself, and then he becomes uh, uh, receptive. Uh, another strange thing about my son is that he writes a lot, but he doesn't like reading. He doesn't like reading fiction. He reads uh, nonfiction off Wikipedia all the time. Um, but it amazes me, because I read a lot of fiction, but I don't write fiction. And my son only writes fiction, but doesn't read fiction. And I, he says it's because he doesn't want to be influenced um, uh, by other people's uh, writing. I, I, hope he, I hope he grows out of that. I think he will. Uh, but I understand that that's a phase that he's in right now. So that's the answer to that uh, uh, question. George, I've given you the mic. Feel free to turn your mic on by clicking on the, there you go. Thank you. And Jim, God bless you, sir. Uh, I, I'm almost at a loss for words to say how I feel about what you're sharing today. I would like to ask, though, because I think it's very hard to find people that, to network with or to find a group that are in, if I can say it, spiritual agreement with you. Yeah. That um, if you have any suggestions for um, organizations or networks or something that that get it, because I've been working teaching online English as a second language for a couple years now, and it is so lonely trying to go against the grain of the institutional mindset that's coming into this new online world that has the opportunity to be so free and so yeah. able to re-embrace you know that individual instinct, but we're bringing right. all of that luggage right into this brave new world. Right. And so I just, okay. if you've got some ideas, I, I'd appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. I do. I have a wonderful idea. There's a, a conference I went to last year called the Rethinking Everything Conference, and uh, I went there to speak. Uh, you can look them up, the Rethinking Everything Conference. 
they're an unschooling type of unjobbing kind of conference. And I I met for the first time parents who not only were unschooling parents like me, but they had been unschooling parents since the birth of their kids. I met I met teenagers who had never been to any kind of of school. Uh, one teenager had been to three days of kindergarten. Another one had never been to school. And they're wonderful to talk to. And, and uh, uh, there's also the, the Twitter um, hashtag uh, unschooling, uh, which uh, uh, is, will bring you into contact with lots of interesting people. There's a, a website for radical unschooling, um, which is the, the form of unschooling I do. Uh, this is in radical unschooling. You basically uh, treat your children as if they are uh, essentially adults with certain simple limitations. Um, and um, uh, there's uh, there's uh, several websites that are dedicated to that. There's lots of blogs these days. Really, it, one of the really interesting things about education these days is that you know how. Um, you know, women's rights really got rocking and rolling right around uh, the end of the 19th century. And one of the reasons for that is because the world had changed. The world had become a lot less violent, a lot more industrialized, and all kinds of possibilities began opening up because the world wasn't just a bunch of guys with swords running around chopping at each other. And I think education is going through a similar a similar thing, um, and we see that with EduPunk, and, uh, and we see that with uh, the TED talks and all this. What we're seeing is that the the internet has created a situation really that I didn't have when I was growing up, but that everybody has now, where you can you can choose an interest and you can pursue it, and there's a social network for that interest. Uh, so look around a little bit online. Um, my first introduction to unschooling was a book about unschooling, um, and uh, but but now there's all kinds of stuff on uh, on the web about it, and we need to create we need to create these uh, these communities uh, because uh, it it really wears on you, George, doesn't it? It really uh, um, it's it's fatiguing sometimes uh, when you talk to people about this stuff. Uh, and then someone will get up from the table at some conference you're at. Like I was at a testing conference. Somebody abruptly got up from a table and said, well, I don't think a five-year-old should be able to decide uh, what he's going to learn. And she stormed away. And it was just very important for her that she, would, uh, that, 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 that she is guiding these, ter these, these terribly innocent young minds. And um, I just... Uh, <laughs> I find that amazing that that that, that uh, people are really really stuck in in, in that and and I need to be with people who can think um, uh, beyond that. So I do this networking on Twitter. Elizabeth Ann, I don't know if you got your mic back, but I've given you privileges again. And go ahead and click on the mic button and see if we can hear you. So. We're not hearing from Elizabeth, Elizabeth Ann. Daryl, do you want to take the mic? Oh, there we go. We heard you for a second. Daryl, I've given you the mic as well. Would you like to try?
You see why testing is so important? So important. <laughs> Hello, James. Hi. Hi. Yeah, my question to you is, what would you say to teachers who try every trick in the book to get their students to succeed, and then the students don't succeed? The teachers tend to take that personally and feel like failures. Well, well I, I don't I understand, understand what, what, what makes a teacher uh, want to even work inside the public school system. It's um, it, 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 it's got to be very depressing. Um, but one of the things that I uh, like to point out is that the words succeed and fail, those words, those words only have meaning if you are talking about a game. Do you understand that? Think about it. Success, failure, always relates to a game. Someone says, uh, I was a uh, I was a success in life. You immediately have to say, "What were you a success at?" Oh well, I made a lot of money. Oh, okay, so you're saying you're playing the get money game. Uh, what about your family? What if you made no money, but your family uh, loved you? Uh, then you'd be a success at the being loved by your family game. <laughs> uh, so as soon as somebody uh, invokes the word success, I wonder uh, what are the rules of the game and why are we playing that game? Maybe, maybe the answer is that we don't have to play that game. We can play a different game. So if I don't know how to make my son, for instance, love mathematics um, uh, as I do, I love mathematics. I study calculus. Someone mentioned calculus earlier. I love calculus. Um, I, my son's completely uninterested in it. Well, that means that my son is going to be drawn to things that don't involve uh, the, the need to know uh, advanced mathematics. And it turns out the world is full of the kind of games that where you don't need math. I think learning mathematics is about as useful as learning Latin a lot of times uh, these days. Um, and uh, although I love mathematics, I understand that uh, other people don't uh, need to, to do it. So I would say exactly what Radney just said. We help the students decide what game they want to play, and we support them in that, instead of trying to define for them what their game has to be. And yet, being a librarian is uh, is a uh, uh, I think it's a great model. Librarians are people who are trying to help you learn whatever it is you want to learn. And uh, I love that. Jim, we're at the top of the hour. You're getting some clapping. I'm going to clap for you as well. You certainly brought some spark and energy to the event tonight and uh, haven't left any doubt as to where you are in terms of your beliefs and passions. And I think that's really healthy and, and uh, um, well appreciated tonight. Uh, what a lot of fun to hear from you. I don't know um, what your timing is like, but we'd like to let you go right at the top of the hour so you don't need to stay if you have other commitments. I think well, uh, my, uh, my preference would be to stay as long as anyone wants me to. I love this. There's nothing I want to do more than this. <laughs> okay, so here's what we're going to do. 
we're going to say that the official evening is over, so if anybody needs to leave, they won't feel guilty leaving. But we're going to leave the room open, the recording going, and let you continue to ask questions of Jim as long as he's willing. So uh, thanks for coming if you're leaving. And if you're not, we're going to move on. And Elizabeth, I want to give you one more shot here if you want to turn your mic on. I think it's working. OK, so uh, I'm going to give the mic to George. Go ahead, George. Uh, thanks again. And I'm afraid I didn't get your name, the the person that's leading this discussion, sir. Uh, I'm Steve Hargadon. Thank you, Steve, very much. Uh, Jim, uh, as I alluded to earlier, <coughs> teaching online, I, I teach at WizIQ. It's a learning portal. But um, I pretty much I feel like I'm in the matrix, that movie. And I've pretty much given up trying to convince teachers to let go of their old institutional models. And I'm devoting all of my energy towards the students. But they are so programmed. I'm wondering if you have any experience working with people trying to break the students out of the matrix mindset of being passive. We program to come to class, shut up, and we will pour what they need into them. And to, to try to reorient them to be self-directing and to that they can lead the conversation and that I'm there to coach and to help rather than to be their, you know, their illustrious leader and high priest of knowledge type of thing. Yeah. Well I I the experiences that I have uh a lot of are working with adults. I uh I have not had much opportunity to work with kids. I've dealt a little bit with my uh, nephews and, of course, with my uh, with my son. And a, a few times I've had uh, uh, the opportunity to um, uh, advise a, a kid who is coming to me and, and, and hoping, they're, they're usually their parents, are hoping that I can, uh, can help the kid uh, uh, feel okay about uh, some problem he's having in school. Um, and the very first thing I say to all of them is relax. It's going to be fine. Your whole life is ahead of you. And there's nothing you can do to screw up your life at this point uh, except by getting somebody pregnant or getting a heroin addiction or committing a major felony. But as long as you avoid those things, you cannot screw up your life. Uh, educationally, there's just nothing you can do wrong. Uh, everything is solvable in your 20s and in your 30s and in your 40s. Okay, so the the ba basic thing I try to do is just calm them down and make them realize that it's going to be fine, uh, and then we go from there. But with adults, I have a lot of experience, a lot more experience working with them. And um, the main thing that I do, George, is I work through exercises with the adults that I'm training to show them first that there's a bunch of things that they know that they've learned in their lives that they didn't know that they had learned. So I'm trying to make them feel smarter than they thought that they were. And I do various kinds of exercises and thinking skills that whereby I try to fool them and they have to see through my various tricks. Um, and uh, so for my adult students, someone said, how do I engage them, which is relevant to this. Um, 
the big way that I, I engage students is I, I put something in front of them that is directly related to the reason why they're in the class. So I usually teach software testing, so I put a piece of technology in front of them and say, uh, here you go. You have to find uh, bugs in this product, and you have 15 minutes. Go. And, and then they, uh, they, try to, uh, uh, they try to do that. And I, well, my job is to watch them very carefully. And every tiny little clever thing that they do, I amplify that. I say, aha, that's clever. You see what you just did? That was clever. And, if, and as I do this, it's like breathing on a little flame. The flame begins to grow, and people start thinking, hey, wait a minute. I'm actually not bad at this. I'm actually kind of good at it. Maybe I can actually try. Maybe if I tried harder, it would, act, it would, it would turn into uh, uh, an important skill. And I can, I can usually engage about half of a class of uh, people sent to me uh, in this way. Sometimes people. Uh, have trouble because they have a very deep-seated fear of thinking. They have a, basically, they have a fear that they're not smart enough. Uh, and it's a very deep-seated fear, and it takes a long time uh, for me to get them over that. Uh, uh, but, uh, but that's the main thing that I do is I work with, with practical exercises, and I watch them, and I amplify every little thing that they do that's smart, and I don't worry about the things that they do that are not so smart. I worry about that later. Um, but once you get someone uh, uh, feeling confident, then there's a whole lot of things you can do with that, with that confidence. Uh, you might put it this way. What I'm trying to do as a, as a teacher is I am first and foremost trying to put people into uh, touch with their own inner source of genius, which I believe everybody has. Everybody has some kind of um, amazing skill within them that they can access. They just usually don't know it yet. And the fun that I have is finding that and helping them to join with it so that it feels like it's part of them. Um, and once we have that, that, that is the tool we use to do everything else. Laura, I've given you the mic. If you click on the larger microphone button, you should be able to turn your mic on. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. yes. Okay, hi. Um, I, I am not a classroom teacher. I'm a librarian in a school. Um, I think so many people that I work with struggle with this idea of unschooling because they see it as, they see it as getting rid of school altogether. And I'm curious, James, um, your, your son is, is unschooled, but do you take him into school-like environments like museums, um, libraries? Uh, obviously, do you've talked about libraries. Um, kind of uh, structured events like uh, conferences, um, immersive in, um, experiences, things like that. Uh, no, uh, I don't. No, I don't. You don't. Even if he doesn't seek that out. He doesn't seek that he out. He doesn't seek that out. 
and I don't uh, impose and I it don't on him. impose it on. Okay. I'm hey, sure, I, that I, he, I'm sure that he uh, someday uh, will someday will be interested in doing interested something in doing like that. Something and like that, and if he is, and if he is, as he is, then I will support that. I'm standing by to support anything that he wants to do. And I'll tell you, I wish that he wanted to get involved in that stuff. I, I wish he would. Uh, but my wishes are not very important. What, what matters is that he is the author of his life. And he doesn't feel that I'm putting a noose around his neck and dragging him around. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, though. I got him to go with me to the Rethinking Education Conference. And a really funny thing happened. Uh, right at the start of the conference, he told me that he, he was uh, upset that he had come, that it wasn't uh, for him, and he wasn't going to uh, get involved with it. And then he stormed out of the hotel room. He came back 30 minutes later having met someone in a hallway and, and he said, Dad, I met this woman. You really need to meet her. And so uh, Lenore and I went downstairs and had a wonderful conversation with this homeschooling mother that my son had just struck up a conversation with in a hallway. And um, then he decided it was pretty cool being at that conference. Um, but I was all prepared for him just to stay in his hotel room the whole time. And <laughs> and I didn't force him to be there either. I asked him if he wanted to come, and he said he wanted to come, and, and, and then he had just changed his mind. Uh, but I'm glad he changed his mind back again, uh, because I think in the end he had a really good time. Deb, I've given you the mic. Deb, are you there? Oh, it looks like she has no mic, but she's asking a question, Jim, in the chat. Okay. I'm looking right now. No mic. Okay. Wow. Thinking about the word clever. Yeah, clever. I remember hearing that word often. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. One of our third grade teachers wanted us to use the theme, what is your genius? Huh. Okay. Uh so what's the so what's the what's the question there? Um um and maybe maybe answer Katrina's question and then Deb if you want to put that in the form of a quick question it might be a little bit easier. Yeah, uh okay. Uh uh, Katrina's uh, school and socialization. I think the whole concept of socialization is a complete myth. I think every child continuously throughout their lives is being socialized. Life is social. All of life is social. So the the this idea that that uh, that I mean, it's one thing to raise a child who's in a dark closet. Okay, if I locked my son in a closet and prevented him from talking to anyone, I guess he would be a little bit socially backward. But maybe that wouldn't be because he's not talking to people. Maybe that would be because he was imprisoned, <laughs> which has a certain emotional impact on a on a kid. Um, I think that uh, if if by socialization people say I'm going to send you to a place where you're going to be constantly angry 
constantly fighting with other people, constantly worried about protecting your stuff, um, then uh, uh, you know that's not the kind of socialization that I think is useful. I was sent to a hunter training camp when I was 12, and I wanted to learn how to shoot guns, and so I was glad about that part of it. But but that camp was it was like a uh, it was a prison like environment. In fact, I led a breakout at one point. One night, I escaped from the barracks, and a few friends came with me, and we ended up taking over one of the buildings. And it was uh, there was a big search for us, uh, but I was miserable. I was, I was constantly uh, having to fight against a, a group of uh, bullies from another town that were uh, roaming the camp, and so I'm constantly fighting them. And uh, that socialization, uh, it, it, I just think this whole concept of socialization is, is silly. Um, people are as social as they want to be. Just like we adults, we are all as social as we want to be. There's some of us that like going to parties. There's some of us that don't like going to parties. And um, my son likes staying at home. And he does a lot of socialization online, I guess. Uh, I, I imagine he does. Uh, he tells me that he does. I've, I've witnessed some of it. Um, socialization basically takes care of itself. I don't believe in forced socialization in any case. Um, so there's that. Uh, and yes, homeschool can be a prison as well. Uh, and uh, that's why if my son uh, said to me, Dad, I, I want to get out and travel. Dad, I want to go do this thing. Dad, I want to go to school. Um, I'd say, fine. What, you know, Try anything you want. Uh, I, what can I do to help you? So Elizabeth Hans asking about uh, credentialing and having degrees. I, I think you addressed this pretty, you know, pretty clearly in the book about yeah. sort of your, from your own personal journey. Right, right. I I don't have any credentials. Uh, I guess I have a driver's license. I have a uh, an expired student pilot's license. Um, but uh, basically, I have no credentials. Uh, that are formal educational credentials, and it's it's never been a problem for me that I know of. Uh, it may be that there are certain certain uh, people that don't talk to me, or certain people that don't contact me. But you know, on the other hand, I don't have any student loans to pay off, so there's that. Um, I've uh, I'm uh, extremely well known in the software testing world. I'm known uh, around the world. I travel around the world teaching. Um, uh, and uh, no one in my adult life has ever asked me if I had a high school diploma. No one in any kind of serious work situation has ever asked me if I had a high school diploma. Um, I found in the computer world that, that all that matters is merit. That's, that's really it. And there are a lot of people that say, oh, I'm in the computer world, and uh, and and I, you know, you just can't get ahead unless you have a degree or a master's degree or something like that. And uh, I say, well, maybe you're looking for the wrong kind of job. You know, if you really want a certain kind of work with a certain kind of uh, company, um, if you really want to work for IBM, then uh, I think you're you're you may need a. Uh, 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 a degree. Uh, IBM has not yet hired me, uh, but many other companies have hired me. 
so I'm just uh, uh, I think that that if you if you if you want to join a community, then credentialing is important to you. And the credentials that matter to that community are the credentials that you want. So if you want to be a doctor, what you're really doing is you're joining the community of doctors. And if you want to be a midwife, then you're joining the community of midwives. And that's, that's a different set of, uh, of credentials than, a, than for an obstetrician. Um, and uh, so it's really about community. And, it's, and communities set their own standards for what you need in order to join them. So if you have somebody who says, uh, I don't like school, but I really want to uh, be, be a professional uh, race car driver, and they won't let me do it unless I take this class and get this certification, then you're going to see a lot of motivation to take the class and get that certification. Um, and it's all going to take care of itself, I think. Okay, Jim, you've been really nice to hang around. Let's do some final questions here. Feel free to raise your hand or put a question in the chat. There were all uh, kinds of questions that had popped. I know, Why aren't we teaching kids to professionally network, for instance? Yeah, that's what we should be doing. Well, I think you've made the point very well, which is that, that we're, we're in a world which is just sort of dramatically changed with regard to information. And a lot of what we're doing now is I think we're searching for new narratives or stories to describe what we do. Now, you can argue that uh, traditional schooling um, maybe was as ineffective in the old world as it is now. But I think at least in the old world, the story was more accepted. And in the world of the internet, we have a hard time accepting this single story of education. And it's, and it's causing us to try and figure out what the new stories are. And, and my concern is that we're trying to replace one old story with one new story. And we need to recognize variety. And I think in part what you've brought tonight you know, yeah, very variety. well is exactly. your story. Right. It's important that people understand I'm not against school. I'm against schoolism. I'm against the idea that only through formal education can we be educationally fulfilled uh, I think that is a, a terrible uh, bit of propaganda. I think it's, it, it makes us all weaker. And that's what I am fighting. I'm not fighting school itself. It's fine for some people. It may be fine for many people. It's not fine for me. And it wasn't, it's not OK that when I was a kid, my teachers were saying, that I would be a failure in life, that I would come to nothing, and that I would be worthless unless I did my homework. That was, um, that was child abuse that I was subjected to. And I'd like to see the world become a little more uh, enlightened about that. Uh, someone else said there earlier asked me about, uh, did I teach myself mathematics? And um, I uh, taught myself some mathematics. Uh, I found that mathematics is easier to learn from a human, and so I seek out, um, uh, I sought out teachers who uh, helped me with that. Um, and uh, uh, I have since learned uh, some mathematics on my own, but uh, I, I learn a lot faster of math when, um, 
when I have uh, when I have someone to uh, to ask questions and and um, and work with. Okay, let's go to a final question from George again. Go for it, George. Uh, you you are a good man, and I appreciate that you at least at the end uh, gave those that are in the school system permission to continue on their path. That we do have to find that way to go forward together. And yeah. I, I so honor what you're doing, and I would like to remind everybody, and you too, Steve, that we are pilgrims for a new world that none of us can really put our fingers on, and I assume that's right. why you're pursuing these classes. Right. And that it is a very noble and honorable thing that we're doing, and it's special for the kids, that we have to stay true to what that calling is it's inside of your heart, James, that has touched me tonight. And that I, I really want you to know that I appreciate that and that the biggest thing that we have to deal with, I think, as teachers that you touched on for the students is that teachers also have this fear of being found out. And when the one thing we tell students is that you can make mistakes, that's a good thing, but we will not do that in front of you. And that if we can get over that and can accept that we're all human and that we're afraid of where they might go if we can't depend on that old um, system of academia, as soon as we can start forgiving each other and allowing each other to make mistakes and to admit that we have fears, and I think that we'll actually be able to start templating what we want the children to be able to do. Well, you so, know, it's, it, it's got to be hard, George, because uh, school is driven by political, not educational uh, uh, dynamics, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I've been, I encountered some amazing teachers when I was in school. Um, and one of them was uh, my eighth grade uh, teacher, who I had many fights with, but I also had a lot of respect for. And she was pretty amazing in a lot of ways. And um, one of the things that caused her to re eventually resign as a teacher was that the high school was complaining that the people who came out of her English classes didn't fit into their textbooks because she would do amazing things. We did a mock trial once where I played a defense lawyer and we all prepared to uh, do a trial based on one of the books we had been reading and it was tremendously educational. Just, we learned so much. She had a, a local judge come into the classroom and explain the criminal justice system to us. I think I never learned so much in any class ever as in the two hours that the judge was telling us the difference between manslaughter and first-degree murder. I still remember that after all these years. Uh, it was so fascinating. And then we did this, we did this trial, and I, had to, to, I screwed up my, my questioning. And, uh, and, and it, this amazing stuff that she did, and she was hounded out of her position, essentially, um, because the high school was complaining about her. You know, that's, isn't that just soul crushing as a, as a clever, caring teacher? And, and, 
and they're telling you basically stop teaching these kids because uh, it's inconvenient for us. Anyway. Okay. Terrible. <laughs> so read the book. Definitely, we're gonna. Well, I hope you read the book, and I, I, I hope you. Uh, I, 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 the big reason I want people to read the book is just so that they will write me, <laughs> talk to me. I, 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 I want to. I want to have contact with people. I want to help as many people as I can. If you have confused children, or if you're worried about your children, look. Uh, contact me. I'm at James at uh, BuccaneerScholar.com. Uh, I've got uh, Twitter. I'm on Twitter as James Marcus Bach. Um, I'm on Skype as uh, Satisfice. Uh, I'm, I'm very easy to contact, and uh, I, I love nothing more than to try to puzzle out uh, what what uh, uh, education could be. Jim, thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks to C. Bloom and Associates for my limited book budget. Thanks. To to illuminate for providing the environment and my employment. Thanks to you who've attended and stuck around. Sure enjoyed it. Jim, what a pleasure to get to know you. Hope that we'll uh, run into each other again. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a great night. Have a great okay. night, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, and thanks, John and Lenore, for being here and supporting. <laughs>